Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We have a, few, a couple needs that we're going to, a few needs that we're going to pray about. Um, we need to remember uh, Sister Tara Shepherd. Uh, she needs a touch in her body as well as Sister uh, Brittany Thornberry needs a touch in her body. And uh, let's remember mother while we are praying that God would continue to help her through this time and um, anyone else have a urgent prayer request we'll start here okay Alicia your sister So we have Alicia, Jane, Frank, and Jean, Jean, sorry, Jean, Frank, and, and Penny. Okay, Bryson. Oh, no. We'll pray for you, bro. You all right? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> all right. It hurts? Yeah, yeah. All right, who else? Sister Banks is going in here. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you were going to say? Okay. All right. All right. Amen. Why don't we stand and let's present these needs. Ask God to have his way in this service as well. God, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your help. Thank you for your healing, God. We're asking that you'd make a way for these needs. God, that you'd, uh, that you'd meet Alicia tonight and that you'd do a work in her body. Lord, you know the need. You know what is needed in that moment in that body. In the name of Jesus, you speak and release healing. We pray for Jean, oh God, and we pray for, for Frank and Penny, oh Lord. You know where they are, what's going on in their life and their bodies. In the name of Jesus, we speak healing. Let it be accomplished, oh God. We pray for Sister Tara and Sister Brittany, oh God, that you touch them, Lord. Bring healing into their bodies, Lord, and make a way for them, Lord. We speak it in the name of Jesus and pray for my mother tonight that you touch her body. I speak and release healing over her, Lord. Let it be accomplished. We pray for Sister Banks, Lord, and Sister, Sister Juanita. God, that you touch them, Lord. Bring strength and healing into their bodies, Lord. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, oh God. Let it be done in the name of Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, God. Thank you for everything that you have done, Lord, and what you are doing even right now. God, you are worthy of praise, Lord. And we lift up our voice tonight and say thank you, God. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for mercy, God. Thank you for making a way, Lord, and bringing deliverance into every need. Lord, have your way in this place tonight, God, and that you would meet our spiritual and physical needs, God. Because you are a way maker and a deliverer. Lord, and you are able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, God. Let that power work in this place tonight and bring about healing and strength, oh God. And we thank you for it in advance, mighty God, mighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we worship the Lord tonight in our giving with our with our voice and our 
praise in Jesus' name. You deserve the glory and the honor. Your name for you are great. 
the glory and the praise. Amen. At this time, we will go ahead and uh, dismiss uh, for the children's uh, practice, drama practice. And y'all may be seated. Yeah. Because they just dart, don't they? Uh, maybe we should put them on like some kind of, yeah. I wasn't going to say it over the airwaves here, brother, but I was thinking it. So, uh, we was all thinking it, yeah. You know, some people think that's inhumane, but if it keeps them safe, you know, I'd say that's better than what other people think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to start a little, uh, I don't know how, how long it will, it will go on, but I just want to spend maybe a couple Wednesday nights um, kind of digging into um, an idea that, that I have had over the last uh, few days, um, and I want to I struggled to find a, uh, a title for this, but I want to I want to say it, and then I want you to. Uh, uh, I'm sure that when I do say it, you're going to go to a place instantly, and that'll make sense when I say the title. So I want to start this on on this subject or from this subject. Do you see what I see? You already went there, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> it did not take very long. Um, and it just it's just part of where we are in the season here. The Christmas season is closing in. And uh, people are shifting their focus to the longest holiday on the calendar. We know there's at least 12 days of Christmas. But many start the day after Thanksgiving. How many of you did that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
we, we normally do. It's, it, you, brother, you said it, and, and to me that's so interesting that the people just barely get their Halloween decorations out and then they put Santa Claus in the front yard. Or, or even more interesting, they'll put, they'll put uh, you know, their Halloween uh, things away and they'll put a nativity scene in the yard. I always thought that was interesting. Uh, but people start putting their tree up with all its decorations. Santa, Rudolph, snow globes and nativity scenes. On the mantle there, there are uh, little trinkets and objects. Um, maybe the kids get an opportunity to shake up Santa or Rudolph in a snow globe. But... Um, or they use those blow-up things in the front yard. Radio stations have an endless stream of Christmas songs from the last 50 years or more. And they play the same blasted ones. And I mean, I get so sick of Mariah Carey. Good grief. <laughs> oh... And it's that, uh, that same one she sings all the time. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. It, it, caused, it caused a ripple. Yeah. Uh, some of them are good, right? You got the white Christmas and, you know, you got the old Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and, uh, you know, uh, Mary Did You Know by various artists. Uh, especially love the Pentatonix version of that. Very beautiful song, may bring tears to your eyes when you consider the, the theological depth of that, uh, what Mark Lowry, I believe Mark Lowry is the one that wrote it, um, but to say the little child you're holding is the great I am, I mean that's revelation right there, that's revelation, that's good stuff. It's the most wonderful time of the year, how many times have you heard that song? Six, oh well, yeah, yeah. So by the time Christmas hits, it'll be like 600 and something, or that's a rough estimate. What, what makes it the most wonderful time? Uh, the children might think it's the snow or the lights, the food or the gifts. Some might even say Jesus makes the most wonderful time. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? We've heard this. But that wonder is not just during Christmas. He is wonderful and that is, that is one of his characteristics. And I want us to look tonight in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It's unfortunate that a lot of the times we bring this passage out is during Christmas time. When we think about the birth of Jesus and, you know, really, uh, really Christmas, the way that we celebrate Jesus' birth is, is it's just, it's just a, a day that we celebrated. It. it wasn't Jesus was born on December 25th. 
you know, we do not know that, but we, that's when we celebrate it, right? Um, but what we have here is a prophetic passage by Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name, everybody say his name, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I want to just spend a, a little bit here talking about this tonight, digging into this passage a little bit tonight. The first phrase that we see is that a child is born and a, a son is given. This is a prophecy of the Messiah. This child, this son would be the king who would sit on the throne forever. And that's what this passage was, was, was uh, prophesying. Now, I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 13 through 16. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession verse 14 that thou keep this commandment without spot unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 15 which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. Everybody say potentate. Now everybody say only potentate. So what's Paul saying? There's only one potentate. The king of kings and the lord of lords. We know who that is, right? Verse 16, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. What Paul is doing in this letter to Timothy is declaring that Jesus Christ is the only ruler. Only potentate. That word potentate means sovereign ruler. He's saying Jesus Christ is the only sovereign ruler. You know what that means? There's no room for anything else. Paul included the word only and this is consistent with scripture. Jesus is the only sovereign ruler, the potentate. That's why he can be king of kings and lord of lords and the only wise God our Savior because there's no one beside him or above him. So the question tonight is, do you see what I see? As a son... He was begotten, meaning 
born. That's what that word begotten means. You, you look it up in the Old Testament, and everywhere you see the word beget, it's referring to, to someone being born, a son or a daughter being born. So when we consider the only begotten son, we are, we are considering a son who was born. And we know that he wasn't, based on what the word of God says, that he wasn't born until the fullness of time. Now let me ask you a question. I don't mean to be uh, pointed, or maybe I do mean to be pointed, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be brash or harsh, but I want to ask this question. If the eternal son was already in heaven, how could he be born? Couldn't he just appear at any point? If he already was, right? If there was already a pre-existent son, couldn't he just step onto the scene and appear? But how would an eternal son go into a womb and become flesh? That's, that's just that's the question tonight. He had to be, the reason that he was begotten was he had to be part of a specific lineage. And Matthew traces that lineage from, a, uh, from Abraham through David to Jesus, establishing a legal right to the throne. But I want us to look at Luke. Luke starts with Mary and goes all the way back to Adam. And that's how he can be the last Adam. Because the scripture says he is the last Adam. He had to be in the right lineage to become king. Let's look at John chapter 1 and verse 49. And we'll see what Nathanael said. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of of Israel. Now nobody told Nathaniel to tell him that. He just made the connection, right? He just made the connection, the son of God, with the throne. Now let's look at uh, John chapter 12 and verse 13. Took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now we know that this was the time when Jesus was approaching Jerusalem on the donkey. He was riding it into Jerusalem at the time of Paschal. And he, and he was greeted by, by people who were laying down these palm branches saying, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of Blessed is the king of Israel. There is no question when we read the word of God, we see Jesus as the king on the throne. This had to be accomplished as a begotten son. His birth and death is all humanity, but there was someone on the inside who wasn't human or an internal son. No. Go with me for a moment here. 
because what we have to be what we have to be ready to do is realize that some things that we have heard through the years might not be exactly in line with the scripture let's let's take a, another journey back to Isaiah and listen I, I know I've had conversations with people and uh, you know church history and tradition has has caused people to not see the truth now this is what I believe I believe that the enemy the the subtle serpent is been at work deceiving people and and if you read if you read the in between testaments uh, historically because we don't have anything else you will realize that in between the Old Testament and the New Testament the birth of Jesus the 400 years is what we call the 400 years of silence there was a lot of things that took place there a lot of corruption a lot of murder a lot of crazy things a lot of darkness and then there was a light that came in the midst of all that and we read about it. And this was prophesied in Isaiah. Now I want us to go back to Isaiah 9 and 6. And I want to, I want to key in on a couple things here because I believe it's important for us to, to get a hold of this and to, to be able to see, to see what I see. Now, I told you to repeat his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, and then we come to the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Now, when we think about these terms, Mighty God, we know that the Scripture is referring to the Almighty God. And if we look at Revelation chapter 1 and 8, let's go there real quick. And we'll, we'll hear the words of Jesus himself. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. No, 8, sorry. Verse 8. Revelation 1, 8. Where Jesus is saying, I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. What was Jesus declaring? I am the Almighty. There is no, there is no, there's nothing else to see there, right? Jesus himself is saying the Almighty. I am the Almighty. Now, Now let's look at what else. Let's go to the everlasting father back in Isaiah 9 and 6. Or, or we can say it this way, the eternal spirit. Because that's what the father is, right? The eternal spirit. Jesus, now let me say this. Jesus never claimed that he was the everlasting father. 
his reference to the Father was always from a begotten Son or from his humanity. Because what we must think, and this is what we have to challenge our theology here, Jesus was a son. He grew up. He was a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He was all God, but all man. And you know what babies rely on? They rely on the protection of their mother. You know what Mary did? She protected him. Because he was a man. As much as he was God, he was a man. We don't believe that Jesus was divine flesh. He had to become like me. Right? He had to, he had to become like man. He had to take, and the scripture says, he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what? God could have wiped the slate clean and started over. But you know what he did? He came as a man. And this is what makes it so powerful. He came as a man and defeated Satan as a man. He faced after fasting 40 days, he faced Satan in the wilderness and defeated him with Scripture. He didn't use some great power from heaven. He could have called the angels, right? He could have called them. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have done all kinds of things, but he used his word. And Satan had no place to stand. So his reference was, uh, for the Father was always from a begotten Son or his humanity. And that's why he was saying, it's the Father. He's greater than me. Because I, I believe part of that reason is because it's easy for us to set our eyes on a physical Savior and put all of our hope in, in a physical, right, in a, in a physical body. And, and Jesus was directing this to, 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 the etern, to the Spirit of God because it's something that we have to use our faith to get a hold of. We can't use our, our eyes, our natural ability to, to fathom uh, redemption. We have to use eyes of faith. Let's look at John chapter 5 and verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself. Now, if this is, if Jesus is an embodiment of the eternal Son, he is not co-equal because it says he can do nothing of himself. You hear me? What Jesus is saying is a man by himself cannot do anything. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Jesus was referring to his humanity, not deity. Now let's look at John chapter 14 and verse 10. 
this is where this is where the, we get a little bit more clarity uh, with with Jesus and what was going on besides his humanity. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is where? In me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, right? I don't speak of my humanity. But the Father that dwelleth where? So, okay, who is in Jesus? The Father, right? The Father dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. So what's Jesus saying? By myself, in my humanity, I cannot do anything. Everything comes through the Spirit. The Father that dwelleth in me. And we all know that's the Spirit. That's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. Two times Jesus refers to the Father being in him. Paul understood this. He had revelation because Jesus appeared to him and he wrote after his conversion experience. Let's look at what Paul wrote after he was converted. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we will read 17 through 19. Therefore, if any man beware... In Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. How did God bring reconciliation to the world? Through the man, Christ Jesus, through an act of obedience, of laying down a will, a, a human will, God used a, a sacrifice to become a bridge. He reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ because, listen, a spirit cannot bleed. The eternal spirit cannot die. And so in order to die, he had to become man to lay his life down to become the spotless, sinless sacrifice to pay our debt. So when we see that baby lying in the manger, what we see is Emmanuel, God with us. It's more than just a story for a season. It's looking into a doorway into eternity. By Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 19. To wit... That God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I love this passage because do you see what I see? That the God of all creation was in the man. Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. 
Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Now, I want to pause to say this. That word fullness in the Greek is pleroma, and it means complete or the totality. You hear me? The totality of the of God was in Christ. Let's look at Colossians chapter uh, 2, verses 6 through 9. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse 8, beware, and here we get to a place where, where what has happened over the last uh, uh, two thousand years, there has been men that have come in. They've snuck in unawares and 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 spoiled mankind through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, we have to pause here for a moment because we have to acknowledge something here, that philosophy and vain deceit has corrupted men. Philosophy as in the things that were added in the 3rd and 4th century. You hear me? Why is it that part of the part of the Christian culture goes only goes as far back as the third century? There, there is there there are doctrines out there that that are uh, the rudiments of the world. They are the teachings of the world. And they are not after Christ because, let's go to verse 9. If they do not reflect this next scripture, then they are the rudiments of the world. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's that word again, that pleroma, totality. For in him dwelleth the totality, the complete Godhead was in Jesus. Not just a portion. You hear me? Our world uh, believes that the Father was somewhere disconnected while the Son was in the Son. I, 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 I can't wrap my head around that because that's not, that's not what the Scripture tells us. We have read several passages that say that the entire Godhead, the totality, the complete Godhead was in Christ, to wit, God was in Christ. Every part of the Spirit of God was in Christ. Paul wrote that within Christ was the complete Godhead. Not one portion or part. All of it. When Isaiah wrote prophetically about the coming son, he declared the son's name would reveal his identity. Remember, 
Let's go back to 9 and 6 and we'll see it. I had you say it. I had you say it earlier. Isaiah 9 and 6. And his name shall be called. His name shall. What was Isaiah saying? There was going to be a name that was going to reveal the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Everything is revealed in the name of Jesus. You know why people hate the name of Jesus? Because it reveals the totality of God. He wouldn't be the eternal son because no writer identified him as that. You you show me anywhere in the scripture that Jesus was ever referred to as the eternal son. Or, or Or even the phrase God the son. That's not in the Bible. But the son of God is because he was a man. This is the reason not one disciple was confused about what Matthew wrote in Matthew chapter 28 and 19. They were not confused about it. People are so baffled about that passage here today. Right? Because they don't see what we see. Matthew 28, 19 is one of the most controversial scriptures in our day. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Is that passage a direct commandment to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost? If that is the case, then show me one place in the scripture that that people were baptized in it. But here we go. We go back to we go back to what we've been talking about: the name of the Father. Well, we already know what Isaiah was writing about, right? Isaiah ninety six said the name, the name brings revelation of the identity, baptizing them in the name of the Father. What is the name? Is Father a name? Is Son a name? Is the Holy Ghost a name? Are any of these names? Because this cannot be a direct uh, uh, commandment uh, baptizing in in that phrase there. Because Matthew is writing uh, that Jesus is saying the name of the Father. Now let me tell you this. They knew the name of the Son. And the name of the Son is not Son. It's Jesus, right? But let's, go, let's dig a little bit deeper. They knew the name of the Father. Why? Let's look at John chapter 4 and verse uh, uh, 43. Now after... I think I gave you the wrong one. Anybody know that reference right off the top of your head where where Jesus said, I come in my Father's name. 
Can you do a search on that back there? Now, I'll, I'll, we'll come back to that in a minute, but now let's look at John 14 and 26. John 5, 43, okay. Have, add that one too. Uh, I just was a little one chapter off there. But the Comforter, thank you, sis, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Whose name? Jesus. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So when we, when we consider the name of the Holy Ghost, it has a name. Jesus. Jesus. Now let's go to John 5 and 43 to, to see the, the scripture, uh, the, the name of the Father. John 5 and 43. I have come in my Father's name. And ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. All of this confirms what Isaiah wrote. And then what Peter said in Acts 4 and 12. That's right. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now Peter was talking about the name of Jesus. So when we, when we think about Isaiah 9 and 6, what we ought to get a vivid image of is that Every word is found within the name of Jesus. He is wonderful. He is the counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. Not in his flesh, right? Not in his flesh. In, in, the, in, the, in the spirit. That's where it can kind of get confusing for people. When they can't differentiate between his humanity and the deity. I, I, I was reading in different different commentaries, uh, and, and it seems like there were several passages that people just kind of skipped over some of some of these things. Like, like in Isaiah 9 and 6, I was reading through some, and they did not even mention the mighty God and the everlasting Father because they don't know what to do with it. Because Jesus did not send, or God did not send part of himself to come to the earth. He 
he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Listen, the man that grew up and, and went and he picked his disciples and he looked him in the eyes was inside him was the spirit that created the eyes that he looked into. Isn't that fascinating to think the God of all creation was in the man Christ Jesus looking into his created vessels and investing in them. Oh. Now you see Jesus closing here. You see Jesus there were times that he was talking from his humanity and then there are times that he was talking from from the authority of the Spirit of God. When he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now Jesus wasn't declaring that his humanity was before Abraham. He was, he was declaring that the totality of God was, is the great I am. And you know what they did? What did they do? They picked up stones to throw at him. Because, because they were calling him a blasphemer. He maketh himself God. Do you see what I see? More than just a season. It's more than just some kind of thing. We have been visited and redeemed by the God of all creation. And that ought to do something when we think about it. When we think about that. When we think about what he did for us. He became a bridge for humanity. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to go even further next time. I want to make you all aware of something today. Today I did a 15-minute interview at the radio station here in Winchester to talk about our church. So I'll be send, they'll be sending me a link this week. I think it will air Sunday. But I thought it was a wonderful opportunity to talk how talk, talk about how great this church is. And uh, one of the things I mentioned when he said, "What can what can what can people expect when they visit your church?" And uh, to sum it all up, I said, "Love on display," because that's what people leave this place. That's the experience they leave here with. Is those people make you feel loved. In fact, I remember what Edward's mother said, and I hope she don't mind me saying this, but she said when she came here, people made her feel like a superstar. You know, that says a lot about who you are and what this church is about. 
And I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing because you are making a difference. God is working through you. And we are, we are, we are the, the agents of change. If this world's going to experience love, it's going to come from a church that knows God. Amen. Amen. I love and appreciate you all. Thank you for, uh, for coming tonight and your faithfulness. Uh, let's come back uh, Sunday for prayer meeting at 11.15 and uh, 11.15 to 11.45 and let's, uh, let's see what the Lord will do. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.